Shining a light on autism and life on the spectrum. Welcome to My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. A podcast breaking down barriers, stigma and misconceptions around autism. And now, here's your neurologically different host, Orion Kelly. Thank you so much for listening to my friend Autism. I'm Orion Kelly and I'm autistic. Now, my purpose is to empower you with knowledge, education and growth opportunities through open, honest and engaging conversations about autism. I'm here to hopefully break down some stigmas and misconceptions and most importantly, increase the level of understanding and acceptance of autistic people. And if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, well, I also write blogs and have my own YouTube channel. So you can look for Orion Kelly, that autistic guy on YouTube. You can also check out my blogs and podcasts and everything about me, even get in touch with me on my website, orionkelly.com.au. My friend Autism with Orion Kelly. Join the conversation now at the Orion Kelly Facebook page. Now, on this episode, I want to talk about the... Aussie produced show called Love on the Spectrum. As a starting point, as you know, I'm autistic and the show is about autistic people finding love. Okay, let's get a couple of things clear. I'm an autistic person. This is a show that is produced using autistic people. It's called Love on the Spectrum, standing for the autism spectrum. So I am entitled to provide thoughts, opinions and feedback on how a show using autistic people to represent the autistic community to the world at large does goes about it, right? That's that's fair enough. My qualifications are I am autistic. I have the lived experience of being an autistic person, finding love, I'm married with kids, so you know this that's my qualifications. And I think there's a couple of major issues that I want to raise, I want to talk about. And I can say throughout this podcast, the information that I give you, I want to be very clear, is my own individual opinion, my own individual thoughts, feelings, opinions on the show, Love on the Spectrum, and how it's produced and how it portrays autistic people. For those that haven't seen Love on the Spectrum, and I think that wouldn't be many people, it's frankly a worldwide hit. Let's just, I get, lay the groundwork here. So Love on the Spectrum is an Aussie-produced show commissioned by the ABC. So for those outside of Australia, the ABC is the Australian Broadcasting Corporation and they commissioned this particular show, Love on the Spectrum. It's also aired on Netflix. To start here, before we go into the production of it, I just want to raise a couple of interesting differences. If you go to the ABC iView app or the ABC iView website, which is the ABC's streaming service, and what I can gather, this is something you'd only really be able to access in Australia. It classes Love on the Spectrum as a documentary. So it says right there, documentary, okay. On Netflix, it's described as reality TV. The reason why I mention that is because this is a show that is utilising autistic people, the autistic community, to create entertainment, 
for one way or another, I mean, you can call it factual entertainment, you can call it factual content, I don't care what you call it, you're going to watch it for some sort of entertainment, right? You, to be entertained through laughing, crying, learning, whatever. Okay, so, and it's being streamed on Netflix. I don't know anything about the commercial deals that the producers of this show or the ABC have, and I don't even know how the system works. I can only assume at some point the people that produce this show must make money to make it, right? They must be given money, commissioned to make it. Hey, here's some money, make the show. And I can only assume at some point, potentially the owners of the show, be that ABC or or the producers or whoever, must make some sort of money. I'm assuming they have to make some sort of money based on it being available on Netflix. So I I can only assume, and I don't know if this is fact, I can only assume there's commercial upside to the production of this show. So we're using autistic people to create a show that has commercial upside. That's why I think just starting at the point where it's described on ABC as a documentary and on Netflix as reality TV is really important. And we'll get to that conversation in a sec. So let's continue building the blocks here. Now, the the local production company commissioned to produce Love on the Spectrum is Northern Pictures, okay? And the department that produced Love on the Spectrum, which I believe is classed as the factual department, again, that'll be very interesting in our conversation as we go forward because factual means you're documenting facts. You're not editing or manipulating, you're just documenting factual interactions. So we'll get to that soon too, which goes against what Netflix is saying it is. Anyway, people that are attached to the production, Northern Pitches, with the assistance of Screen New South Wales and Screen Australia. Now, essentially what that means is this show is not only commissioned by the ABC, which you know uses taxpayers' money, which is fine, it happens in other countries, Canada, Britain, you know, blah, blah, blah. So not only that, but then they're also getting money from state and federal governments in a different way. So Screen New South Wales, okay, and the federal government, the Australian government, the Commonwealth government, what do you want to say with Screen Australia? So we're getting money from the ABC, taxpayers, getting money from Screen New South Wales, taxpayers, getting money from Screen Australia, taxpayers. Okay, so if we're going to make a taxpayer-funded factual documentary you better bloody make sure that's what it is, okay? I'm an autistic person. I've watched every single episode. I've reviewed all five episodes of season two on my YouTube channel. You're welcome to go and check them out. The point I'm saying here is that there's clearly some issues that I want to discuss. This podcast isn't a podcast to all hold hands and sing whatever the song neurotypical people sing when they're holding hands. I don't know why you're holding hands, sing with people in the first place. But that's just creepy. But And also, sorry, also, another supporter of Love on the Spectrum in the credits is Autism Awareness Australia. Okay, so we've got taxpayer-funded uh, government funding resources to commission this via the ABC to Northern Pictures. It's then also streamed on Netflix. So it's a worldwide audience, a worldwide vehicle for the autistic community. And uh, a local organisation called Autism Awareness Australia, the only thing I can say that I'm certain of is they're not very good at advocating for autistic people, in my opinion. What are you doing to actually advocate for autistic people by being involved in this show. Show me where you've said, no, I'll stop you right there. We can't, that's not acceptable for autistic people. Let's, if you're going to be involved, then you better actually do your job. Okay, so let's talk about some of the issues I have with Love on the Spectrum. My understanding is from the people that have talked to me, they were told at no stage can they be paid for their work on Love on the Spectrum because Love on the Spectrum is a documentary and you can't 
You can't pay people on a documentary, okay? Which makes a lot of sense why ABC class it as a documentary and why it's been funded and commissioned through head, the factual departments, okay? So there's no issues there. If we're actually making a documentary, it's commissioned through the factual departments that make documentaries, and the law is you don't need to pay participants in a documentary, then there's no issues there. Now, you've got Netflix categorising this show as reality TV. My understanding, though is that if you are a participant on a reality TV show, and that could be anything from, I guess, like Big Brother, that's, that's an example, that you, there's some sort of fee you receive. It might be minimal. You know, it might be kind of tokenistic, but there's some sort of fee. My understanding, it could be wrong, but that's just my understanding. You, you are paid to some degree to be a part of uh, reality TV. Now, I don't know the employment law, and I've made that very clear. But then at, through watching the show, season one and season two, and through seeing it on Netflix and talking to people, they were of the opinion that, in fact, the way it has been produced, it's more of a reality TV show than a documentary. Now, <laughs> we all love our friends at Wikipedia. Just, I tell you what, just go on a search engine and search Love on the Spectrum. When the Wikipedia thing comes up, you tell me how it describes Love on the Spectrum. Because what I get when I, when I search it, Love on the Spectrum is an Australian reality television show produced by Northern Pictures for the ABC and currently available to stream on Netflix. It's not the High Court of Australia, it's Wikipedia, but you see what I'm saying? It's, what I'm trying to say is I'm not the only person, nor are some of the cast members, who think this is clearly a reality TV show. This is clearly a show edited for the entertainment of a mass market, clearly not autistic people, a mass market. There's nothing wrong with making a show for the mass market because it means that you you actually impact the world on a, on a global level. You reach people. My issue here is autistic people, and I don't sugarcoat this kind of stuff, and I think parents that sugarcoat this really need to rethink their whole philosophy on where they want their children to be in life. If you are autistic, and by the way, you don't have autism, right? A person who's gay doesn't have gayness. I mean, you are autistic or you are not. The only thing that makes you autistic is your brain being wired differently. It's a neurological developmental disability, so it's the brain that makes you autistic. Take the brain away and you are dead, brain dead, right? So you don't have autism. You are autistic. It can't be separated from you. You can separate my brain from me, but then I'll be dead. So we have a disabled group, a group with a disability, a minority, autistic people, the autistic community, being used to make a show commissioned by a taxpayer-funded network and streamed on one of the biggest, if not the biggest platform on the planet, and we are not paying this group of disabled people in a minority. Now, when I say this, I'm autistic, that means I have a disability. It doesn't mean I'm not smarter, faster, quicker than you. It just means I have a disability. And that means you may have a disability where your legs don't work, okay? But that doesn't mean that you can't achieve anything. That's ridiculous. I might not be great in certain social situations or with hypersensitivity, but it doesn't mean that there's nothing else in life I can't do. It doesn't mean that that just means that everything about me is disabled. It's, it's the way my brain interprets the world, okay, because I have an autistic brain. I'm extremely uncomfortable. If, in, if indeed what I'm hearing from cast members and family members is, both in season one and season two, no one is being paid for their participation in the production of a show that's made not only for a national audience but a worldwide audience and, and is indeed a hit worldwide – I'm astounded and astonished if that's the case. If the production of Love on the Spectrum are not paying 
the autistic participants, and for that matter, anyone who participates in this show, in my opinion, you are exploiting, manipulating, and taking advantage of a, a minority, a group of people with disabilities. And in this show, it's not just autistic people who... There's people in this show that, are, that, that have disabilities but are not autistic. If you are taking advantage of this group, this minority, and using what they give you content-wise to then have some sort of commercial upside, which I can only assume is the case, I don't understand why the world isn't burning down. How You explain to me how it's just me. Okay, let's assume this, it's the law. What they're doing is completely legal, completely lawful, completely fine, and actually, in fact, is done every day of the week. Let's assume that's the case. That's not the conversation, is it? The conversation is, as a member of our community, genuinely feel okay that people that are autistic, members of a misrepresented minority who are diagnosed with a disability are being used, exploited for free for a company that has been commissioned to produce entertainment for a worldwide audience. It doesn't matter if it's legal or not legal. The the point is, what do you think about that? Because I know what I think about that. Autistic people should get paid for their work. Now, if you think going on dates and doing activities with a camera crew, a sound guy, a producer following you around is not work for an autistic person, but just normal life, they're just fly on the wall, then you don't know anything about autistic people. I'm very uncomfortable about this. And again, I'm not saying that anyone has broken the law or has acted unlawful. What I'm saying is, if what I'm hearing is true, how do you as a community feel about that? If the producers are getting paid to produce the show, but the people the cameras are pointed at aren't getting paid to produce the show because they're not working, they're just being documented, well, then that's a ridiculous argument. I mean, even if that's the law, it's, that's bloody ridiculous. Let's, re, let's revisit the law then if that's the case. What a ludicrously ridiculous law. What are you saying? The people that hold the camera and hold the boom mic deserve to get paid, but the people who are actually on the screen being followed around, oh, well, they don't need to. They're just doing it for free because it's a documentary. Well, if it's a documentary, then the bloody camera crew can do it for free as well. I mean, this is, anyway, this is a whole other argument. I want to talk about the idea that it is actually a documentary and not a reality TV show. Although I feel from watching it, and I know that that's the sense of a lot of people, (laughs) including the credible Wikipedia source and the description on the actual Love on the Spectrum page on Netflix. I want to talk about the factual documentary side of this. Now, there's a couple of situations that I've had cast members reach out to me and explain to me that some facts were not part of the broadcast, as in facts or sides of the story or factual happenings were edited out or just not included or weren't given a chance to be told. I believe it's the final episode of season two, and it involves Michael. In my opinion, for a documentary, it's a bit strange if we're just documenting people and it's just a factual documentary. It's a bit strange that any idiot on the street who watches this could clearly see that within the show Love on the Spectrum, there is the Michael show. Michael is an autistic character. He's been on both seasons. And really, he's the star of the show. He has his own show within the show. I reckon he's probably the only autistic person who you will see in every episode. I don't believe, apart from the little questions things they do, maybe there is a couple, but the point is you don't remember them as much or easily as you remember the fact that, look, it's just Michael is going to be there. You can rely on Michael. It's the Michael show. Well, that's not a documentary. 
That's reality TV. When you start to craft storylines, good guys, bad guys. Michael's family are even part of the storyline. I don't even know some of the family members of other autistic people. You might see him for two seconds. To me, it questions. It blurs the lines between, okay, well, when does it go from being a documentary to reality TV? Hey, I'm just an autistic guy providing some insights here into why I think there's some issues. So the factual thing I bring up with Michael from The Michael Show, in the final episode, so he dated a woman called Heather in season two, and they dated right throughout the the show and, and it seemed like it was going well. Right up till the second last episode, I think they were meeting family. It seemed like it was going really well. In, in episode five, out of the clear blue sky, and I think everyone was shocked. Michael meets his, his friend. Well, in fact, first the narrator says something like, Michael hasn't seen Heather for over a month and then goes on to say something like, and there's no plans on the horizon to see each other again at this point. Something like that, right? So the narrator is in a documentary has told us which we can only class as facts, right? If it's financed by the factual department and it's classed as a factual documentary and the narrator comes on on this factual documentary and says, Michael and Heather haven't seen each other for over a month and there's no plans on the horizon, then you have to class that as fact. Or, or it isn't a documentary and it certainly isn't factual. Here's the issue. The information that I have is that actually isn't a fact. The information that I have is that in that time frame between Michael meeting Heather's family, which is the date that Michael says is the last time he saw her before he met up with Bree and said, it's been a month, I haven't seen her since I met her family. I've been told Michael and Heather were together twice. Once for a, a dance showcase that Heather's a part of, it's called Fizzy. Michael knows Fizzy is dance because he actually mentions that in the conversation he has with his friend when he says it hasn't been you know, it's been a month. And the second time in that time frame where Michael and the narrator talk about not seeing Heather, Michael and Heather were together at Heather's house for a family pizza and games night. Now, these are two scenarios where we have two different stories. My question is, if this is a factual documentary and it prides itself on, I guess, a journalistic style, which from reading the website of the production company, that's what this is about. Where is the journalistic style then? Because if, this is the, if there are two stories, why aren't we hearing all of them? It's either a reality TV show where, you just, where you're entitled to edit it any way you want, right? Like, you know, like the Married at First Sight and stuff, people get off that show and go, oh, it was all edited badly. They made me look so bad. Go, anyway, I can't really help, can I? It's a, it's a show. It's all about the editing, isn't it? Like, oh, man, well, I'm, just, I'm not a villain, really, you know? Like, you know, it's either that or it's a factual journalistic style documentary, which, of course, then... What you would do, it, it, I mean, now I also, not only studying law, but I also studied journalism at Monash University. And what I was taught, once Michael tells his friend they haven't seen each other for a month and there's no signs on the horizon, the journalistic side of me would say, okay, I better go talk to Heather. In episode five, the only time we heard from Heather was an extraordinarily brief speakerphone conversation where Michael speakerphone called Heather and told her he'd just wanted to be friends, blah, blah, blah. And I, he might have asked her, is that what you feel in your heart too? It's like, well, seriously, that's the question. I mean, you know, the fact of the matter was it, it, she wasn't there. The producers are better than this. If you're going to have autistic people dump other autistic people on worldwide TV, the least you can do is either one, uh, get them in the same room or in the same area where they're actually just focusing on this conversation or go and follow it up with Heather later and get that side, right? So for me already, 
the question has to be, are we protecting someone here? And if we're protecting, let's say we're protecting Michael and the Michael show, then we're protecting a character and we're protecting a part of a show that we need to be a certain way or it fails, right? So, okay, so if Michael's the star of this show and we need him to be looked at by the country as the good guy underdog who's just unlucky in love and we just love him and he's just, oh, he's just so cute and he says the funniest things and I just want him to be happy and, oh, it's going to take 10 seasons but at least we'll make lots of money. You know, I mean, if this is the case, then that's a reality TV show. That's not a documentary. A, a factual documentary is, okay, Michael, no worries. Um, before we get the narrator to actually say that on the show as if it's just fact, Michael and Heather haven't seen each other for a month. Oh, actually, let's first ask Heather. Hey, Heather, Michael just said you guys haven't seen each other since you met, he met your parents. Is that true? No. No, it's not. No, we saw each other twice at least. And, and Michael also says to his friend in that conversation, every time I call her or text her, she's busy. Again, you don't hear from Heather. Heather, did you re- have you really been giving him the cold shoulder? You don't hear that. That's another journalistic style. You would follow that up. Don't hear that. And even in the speed dial speakerphone kind of dump call, he doesn't even ask that. He, she just says, she actually says when he calls her, I'm really busy. Like she says the same thing again. Okay. But no one allows her to say what that means or asks her what that means or follows that up. So if you watched episode five of season two of Love on the Spectrum, chances are like me, you may have got the impression that, Heather had ghosted our favourite character, Michael. Heather had ghosted the good guy, the star. You can't ghost the star. You can't ghost the good guy. And if you do, what are you? You're the villain. You're the bad person. More than that, you have a more of an emotional connection for Michael to find love, right? You feel even worse for him. It's even more compelling for you to keep watching. And if, if that's factually correct, then great. If you, if you interact with Heather and Heather goes, you're right, we haven't seen each other since you met my parents, that's absolutely correct. And you're right, I have pretty much ghosted you. I'm sorry. And uh, by the way, I'm just playing this out. I'm not talking on behalf of Heather. I'm just saying, you know, this is an example. If they talk to her, you're right. And look, the bottom line is I'm just, I'm just kept saying I'm busy because I don't feel chemistry and I don't think it's going to work And because I, I, I'm autistic. I don't know how to say it. It's too awkward. I can't get my head around it. I mean, I'm an autistic person and that's love on the spectrum. Love on the spectrum is allowing autistic people to speak for themselves and to live their lives themselves. That, that's love on the spectrum. Love on the spectrum isn't one-sided factual conversations. Additional facts, which I don't know, maybe the producers do have and they just didn't put in the show. Maybe they recorded these bits, but it doesn't matter because I can only judge on what I see. So what I see was nothing from Heather, but the, the additional facts are in that period where Michael was trying to contact Heather, Michael and Heather weren't connecting for various reasons. Now, a few of those reasons are your standard autistic reasons. Autistic people can be awkward, can put things off, can push things. In addition to that, autistic people me included, can struggle to focus on more than one thing. Now, we know from them watching the show, Heather does uni. We know from watching the show, it can be stressful, I guess draining for her, okay? We know that. That's just a fact, which is said on the show. There's always a reason why someone says they're too busy or can't talk to you in a relationship. One, that it's not interested in you anymore. That's ghosting, basically. <laughs> they just don't want to tell you. Or number two, there's actually something going on in their life. And it's up to you, really, I guess, to dig deeper. I can only go by what I saw. It's not my job to go into the minds of the producers or find the cutting room floor. I can only go on what I saw. 
So there's some real issues here. If this is a factual documentary, I question its effectiveness in this instance, maybe not for the whole show. And I can also say that people were shocked when they watched the episode go to air and heard Michael have that conversation. Remember, anyone on Heather's side couldn't have actually addressed that with Michael during the taping of the show because the first time they heard about it was when they were watching it go to air. Of course, it's hard to know what is true in this situation. The point I'm trying to make is this is actually a great conversation to be had. Is it reality TV? Why aren't autistic people paid for their work? Or is it a documentary? Now, if it's a documentary, a factual documentary, why are facts being omitted? And don't give me the whole editing, cutting room floor for timing. What a load of rubbish. If you, because if you are that, let's say you are that autistic woman and you have been painted as the villain who ghosted the star of the show, gave him crap reasons and just wouldn't return his calls, wouldn't return his texts. And even when he called you to dump you, you said you're busy, right? Let's say that's how you were positioned. How do you think that's going to go for you? Do you think the comments of breaking the heart of the star of the show are going to go down well with the, with the audience? The worldwide audience, by the way. We're not talking about cyberbullying from one little country on an island. We're talking about the world here. It's not going to go well. My understanding from talking to other cast members is that there's an understanding amongst the family members and cast members from what I can gather. And look, maybe it's an unwritten understanding, an unwritten rule. It's just an assumed thing by behaviour that no one is able to talk negatively about the Michael show. You just can't do it. It's a no-no, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that have got to change here. Another example of how it's, it seems more like a reality TV show than a documentary is if you remember, most of the times people call other people and tell them they just want to be friends. It's, I, I call it the dumping call. I know it's not dumping, but you know what? Let's just call it dumping call. It's basically all done on speakerphone. Now, this is the same for asking people out. So anytime a cast member calls another person to ask them out on a date or, or another date or calls them and say, just want to be friends, basically for the most part done via speakerphone with one autistic person on camera and one person we just hear through the phone. There's a couple of situations I think there might have been FaceTime, but as a rule, that's the gist. The issue there is it's rubbish to say that you can properly and factually document the real story, actually document facts, a documentary, when you have someone on speakerphone and someone on the phone. Because I'm an autistic person and I hate phone calls. I, I genuinely, I'd much rather emailing and texting or in person. So phone calls aren't great. And you have this situation where you've got autistic people calling people on, this, on a speakerphone, knowing that's so it can be picked up by the mic and go to air and the world can see it. And on the other end, it's just this kind of, you know, I guess kind of audible, muffled voice. It's, and again, that is hard to understand tone and context. Where are they? What's happening? If you're having a, a conversation as important as telling someone who you've dated multiple times and formed a, formed in a relationship, some sort of connection that you no longer want to see them you just want to be friends there's no chemistry or connection or whatever if you really want to do that do you honestly think it's the right time to do it then you go oh that's cool. I'll be I'll be really quick I'm just going to give you the most serious conversation of your day in in 60 seconds that isn't how you document the full story in my opinion and I'm this, like I said at the start I'm entitled to say what whatever I feel because everything I say is my own personal honest autistic opinion it seems like there's more autistic women who are on the wrong end of the speakerphone call, right? And more autistic men on the right end of these calls. Like it was always their fault if things didn't go well. And I guess we can use some examples. I'm not talking about examples of people who've told me. I'm saying 
I'm thinking from my memory of examples where relationships haven't gone well and we could blame women by watching the show. For example, season one, star of the show, Michael. Was it Amanda? Is that her name? Amanda. Didn't go well, did it? And it just didn't work out. It didn't happen. So that's her fault, right? Because Michael's a star of the show. Season two, Heather. Started really well. Suddenly something, something weird happened. Don't really know why. Didn't seem natural from episode four, meeting the family, to episode five, dumping. <laughs> that didn't seem like a natural progression. Something seriously is awry there and we can't work that out. This is actually, we can actually watch the show and see this. So why, why are we never blaming Michael? Or why are we never blaming other autistic men? Is it not Mark's fault that he's dated multiple women on this show over two seasons and is still up until right now after both seasons, and is still not able to sustain a relationship, even when there's been really fantastic women who have been really into him and, and passionate about spending more time with him. That's just, to me, I mean, I'm an autistic guy, and that seems really odd to me. How can you be so desperate for love like the clock is ticking and then be so unrealistically picky or it just doesn't make any sense to me. There's something that's not right there, but, but you wouldn't know it watching the show, right? It's just, I don't know. Another prime example, in my opinion, of where I really question the intention of the producers of Love on the Spectrum is a scene between Mark and Chloe. Mark, the dinosaur guy, who I think on one date, the producers heard a dinosaur animatronics noise. They're at a park with dinosaurs. They knew that was the case. They set up the cameras there. They were there. They go to Mark. What was that? That's a really stupid question. And it tells me they think Mark's an idiot or they're idiots. Either way, he's not an idiot. He's really smart. He's a, he's a really smart autistic guy who knows a lot about dinosaurs. The question there producers is, hey, Mark, tell us a bit about that dinosaur that just made a noise. Right, that, that's a question, but going, oh, Mark, what's that noise? Oh, what's that? Anyway, Mark and Chloe are having a date in a restaurant. I think it's their first date in like a really nice formal restaurant. And there's a lot of awkward moments in that particular dating scene. Mark, he gets up multiple times. He just It's random. He just keeps getting up and leaving the table and going places. And Anyway, there's a part in this, in this date that I have real issue with. So throughout the date, a lot of times, Chloe has made it very clear uh, in many ways, through her her language, that you know she's trying to get Mark to speak about his interest for her. She's giving him hints and tips and explaining her interest and you know saying different things, trying to get him to open up about his potential feelings and his intentions. Just getting to open up about what he thinks about them as a couple. Like, how, how would this? How do you think this this would be? What are you interested in? Do you like me? Right? She's she's just trying to find some sort of connection, an opening vulnerability but at no stage does mark pick up on this well and again from the show i watched go to air no stage does he pick up on it anyway he walks off for the for this 20th time and there's a conversation between him and a producer from my point of view i heard the conversation from the show and it sounds to me like the producer is coaching is feeding is prompting mark to take action right it basically is bringing to his attention do you think that Chloe might want to know how you feel? Do you think Chloe's trying to get you to talk about your feelings, right? That's not love on the spectrum. That's being coached on the spectrum. It's If you want to see autistic people find love, because I'm one of these people and I've experienced it, then you take the coach out. This is me, right? This is me, love on the spectrum for, you know, the first, I don't know, my whole 20s. I didn't pick that up. I never asked her out. I never saw her again. I was always alone. I never had more than a first date. I either unintentionally offended someone or I just didn't realise they liked me. Love on the spectrum is that. Love on the spectrum is not 
what the producers did, getting him to open up to her. Love on the spectrum is him not not realising that and Chloe not being able to get it out of him and then both leaving their separate ways, never seeing each other again. That's love on the spectrum. Trust me, because I've experienced it. That's a real insight. Producer stepping in is like David Attenborough and his camera crew walking into the jungle and stopping a kill. If they're factually documenting nature in nature, they're not going to go into nature and stop a kill, right? They're going to document the kill. I mean, we watch the show for that reason. We want to see animals live, die, be born, do crazy things, escape, right? Attack. That's the point of documenting nature. If you're documenting a natural date between two autistic people, you don't step in at some point and prompt them to tell the other person how they feel. And they do have a coach in the show, but the coach has never been a part of dates. The coach happens before dates and after dates. So it's not like this is consistent with anything else. That is, in effect, a script editing on the run. So to, to prompt, to feed, to you know, coach someone to go in a certain direction, to provide a certain type of content, which is more consistent with reality TV format. The producer, in my opinion, has gone in and stopped a kill. And that's not documenting nature. That's affecting nature. Now, this is not to say that I don't think love on the spectrum has a place or it is in its entirety a bad show. My issue is, and this is very specific to what I've just said, if you're going to use, or in my opinion, if you are going to exploit, manipulate, potentially take advantage of a disabled minority for the production of a TV show that has commercial upside, potentially, then you don't get away with just misrepresenting an already misrepresented group. You can provide entertaining content because autistic people, like Michael, are entertaining. But to get that, you also are obliged to inform. You have to take the opportunity to also inform the worldwide audience about autistic people, about a level of awareness, understanding and acceptance that will actually positively improve the life of autistic people because this show has fallen short on that in many ways a, a, a couple of examples every time they introduce someone like michael's about to date heather and they'll go heather likes you know and they say heather likes two things heather hates two things i'm, I'm just using an example it doesn't have to be heather it's anyone and they're all ridiculous Ex- examples are things like but doesn't like people frightening them or but doesn't like bugs crawling on their skin so, oh really okay yeah because i get up in the morning every morning and i just bathe in a bath of living bugs. It just reinvents my soul. It's, it's like normal. No, no one likes bugs on them. And no one likes being frightened by people. One of them was, doesn't like the effects of climate change. Who, who likes the effects of climate? Seriously. There might be people that deny it's happening. It clearly is happening. But for goodness sakes, no one likes the effects of it. Jeez, I really love how it's 100 degrees. <laughs> isn't it good? Isn't it good that we're all dying slowly and burning? Oh, wow. Isn't, aren't these floods good? Isn't this winter going for seven months good? No, like no one says, no one likes the effects. This is, this is where you fail in providing insight, okay? If you're going to introduce people, they're about to date. Let's be more specific about this. Autistic people have... Many and varied challenges and strengths. And as a core, hypersensitivity, sensory challenges are a big thing. If you want to come up with funny little likes and dislikes, okay, but link them back to specific and individualized autistic traits, right? So people go, oh, okay. So it's, it's informing, it's engaging, not just saying open-ended thought bubbles, which are just irrelevant. 
The other thing is family interaction. We're wasting time on this show going, okay, now let's cross live to the non-autistic mother of the grown autistic man who can speak for himself and get her to speak for him. Mother, what do you think about the autistic son? Mother, what do you think about the autistic date? (laughs) Like we care. This is a time you could use to inform people better on the thought bubbles. Like we don't, you're crossing live to non-autistic parents and family members to get them to provide insight on autistic experience of your autistic sibling, son or daughter. If you actually want to help the autistic community, you need to to step up and make this show into something that can entertain and inform, that can actually, because it comes down to one core thing here, misrepresentation. Autistic people have been misrepresented their entire life. If we are going to continue to allow them to be misrepresented in a format that says it is purely a factual documenting of life, we've got some real issues. We, we we, We need to work this out. Autistic people, like neurotypical people, need to be paid for their work. If someone is paying you to produce a show and the show is about autistic people and you're using autistic people to produce that show you've been paid to produce, you need to pay the autistic people. Autistic people need to be paid for their work. We are not a class of subhumans. Being on Love on the Spectrum is work. If it wasn't, there wouldn't be commissioning of it and the people making it wouldn't be being paid to make it. That's work. It's very clear about the factual integrity, journalistic styles of the production of this particular show in the factual category of that production company and the head of factual and the ABC. And I have complete respect for those people and those departments. I'm an autistic person giving you my thoughts on how you've used that to create love on the spectrum. Because to omit facts to omit the opportunity for people on the show to speak for themselves rather than getting their parents or not allowing them at all to speak for themselves, to right wrongs, to provide context, to hear both sides of the story is not factual, is not a documentary. To step in and help someone provide, I don't know, a better scene, a better outcome, a second date. I mean, is there a second date between Mark and Chloe if Mark was never prompted to tell her how he feels? Is there? I don't. We don't know. How do we know? Why are we protecting certain characters? Why are we blaming others? All these questions make me question how. There you go. All these questions make me question how we can seriously all sit here and agree that this is nothing more than just a factual piece of content that's documenting the natural life of autistic people. Because in my opinion, it isn't. There's a different level of respect shown to different autistic people on the show. There seems like there are. Partly told truths, half-truths, information omitted, edited out, left out, not even followed up or asked. There seems like that's happening. This is a state and federally funded project, unsold or ungiven (laughs) to a worldwide audience. And the people in it, a group of a disabled minority, for the most part, are feeling taken advantage of. And in my opinion, exploited, misrepresented. This is a conversation that that can't stop. I'd really appreciate it if you just do what you think's right. If you feel you should share this conversation or have this conversation with other people, please do it. I'd really appreciate it. Share the podcast or just open up the conversation for yourself. Thank you so much for being a part of this, what I class as extremely critical and important conversation to have about the use and the representation of autistic people in the mainstream media. My friend, autism with Orion Kelly. 
Well, thank you so much for listening to My Friend Autism. I really do appreciate it. Now, if you'd like to share the episode, please do it with your family and friends so we can reach more people. If you'd like to continue the conversation, say hi or book in an interview as a member of the show, you can go to the Orion Kelly Facebook page or send me a message via my website, orionkelly.com.au. Also check out the Orion Kelly, That Autistic Guy YouTube channel. Thank you so much for listening to My Friend Autism. You know, All I'm asking you to do is open up your hearts and minds to people a little bit different to you and embrace the benefits of neurodiversity. Until next time, thank you so much for opening your mind and embracing differences. You've been listening to My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. To join the conversation, get in touch with Orion and never miss an episode. Like the Orion Kelly page on Facebook or visit orionkelly.com.au.